We are going to be beginning a study this morning going through the book of Philippians called Better Together. And so for that, we're going to uh, just kind of go a few verses at a time through this. This morning, we've asked uh, Roger Watkins to come up. And uh, Roger, if you could read Philippians 1, 1 to 6 for us this morning. If you, if you picked up one of the Bibles in the back, that'll be page 677. Philippians 1, 1 through 6. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. When you are getting to know someone, there's a few basic starting points. So when you're trying to get to know someone, often you're you're asking a series of questions or at least you're processing information to determine, like, who are they? And by that, I mean, you're, you're trying to gauge their personality. What, what roles do they have in life? Where are they at in their career? What about their family? What about their background? What are some of their hobbies? Who, who are they? You're, you're maybe interested in where they are spiritually or, or their character. You're asking, like, as you get to know them, you're processing this information. Who are they as a person? Not just the name. But also as you process, you're, you're also kind of looking at what time is it in their lives. I don't mean so much clock time. It's like, where, where are they? Where, where are they in their life? Are they a student? Are they retired? Are they aging? Are they reaching kind of the, the prime of life, the prime of earn come in, uh, earning income? Or are they reaching a place where they're beginning a career or beginning a family? Are they... Are they caring for aged parents? Is that, is that what kind of stage of life it is? Are they caring for newborns? Are they enjoying being an aunt or an uncle? Are they enjoy being a, a mom or a dad or a grandmother or a grandfather for the first time? Are they experiencing emptiness? I mean, a lot of those things about time in our life says a lot. And I, I think it's critical. So my goal for us this morning is that each person would think about your relationship with God, particularly as it relates to who we are and what time it is. Who we are and what time it is. And we have a letter to help us do that very thing. We have a letter written by the Apostle Paul about 2,000 years. So it's amazing, right? Christians have been opening this kind of book all around the world have been opening the book of Philippians and have been reading and learning and growing. And what we desire is that God would speak to us this morning through his word and that we would say, yes, Lord, whatever you say, I'll do it. As we start with answering the question like, who are we or who we are? There, there are a couple helpful descriptors in the verses that we read to remind us as Christians of, of who we are. So one of those is found right there in verse 1. So in verse 1, Paul and Timothy describe themselves as servants of Christ Jesus. 
who we are. We are servants. We are servants of Christ Jesus. When, when those words are said, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, that's not mere like filler stuff that, you know, just Paul was trying to get to a word count like I, I would be if I was writing a paper and got to get to the certain number of words. No throwaway words in the Bible. So when Paul identifies himself as a servant and then brings Timothy along and says, we're co-servants of Christ Jesus, that means something. If you think about it, like how we introduce ourselves or how we're introduced, it kind of has a lot to do with what we're about to say or what we're about to hear. So imagine, you know, let's transport ourselves to an academic setting, some symposium and higher learning and stuff that we can't pronounce. And they introduce the speaker. They say, you know, they introduce her, she comes up. But before she comes up and they say, she's a great bowler. Like, well, that's not, and she's a big fan of cookies and cream ice cream. They go, that's interesting. I'm not sure what that has to do with any, maybe just curious fact. I mean, it, it would be a little bit jarring. What you expect to hear is, the, is something germane to what, what she's going to say, what he's going to say. So you would expect, you know, here's where she's taught, she has degrees from wherever, she's published this particular paper, world-renowned scholar and whatever, and, and then you go, okay. So when Paul introduces himself as a servant, when he could have said a thousand other things, he says, I'm a servant, he's telling us something about where this message is going. Sometimes I don't know that we process that we are servants. So we get a pretty steady message in our culture today. We kind of push your identity as like, I, I'm the most important thing in the universe and everybody should just be in awe of who I am and what I think. And Paul says, you want to know something about me? I do the will of another person. I'm a servant. Servants are measured on how they obey, how they submit how humble they are. This is our role as a servant. I I wonder, I wonder. Let me just get very plain here. Like, did you do anything this past week simply because your Lord said to do it? And so you did it. You may not even like doing it. Is there anything that you chose not to do, any lines you, you drew, just simply because God said not to do it? And he's my master, and I want to pray just like Jesus prayed, not my will, because if it was my will, I might do a thousand things. Not my will, but yours be done. Is there anything in your life that you can point to to say, I want to be faithful. I'm a faithful servant of Christ Jesus. Now, I'm not sure a lot of places in the world will applaud that. But we ought to wake up pretty regularly reminding ourselves, this life is not my own. I've been bought with a price. I'm a servant of Christ Jesus. I do what he tells me to do. There's another identifier here. He goes on to describe not just as servants, but as saints in verse 1. Some of your translations will say holy people, and I think that's helpful, a helpful kind of description here to the saints who are at Philippi, to all the saints who are at Philippi, the saints who are in Christ Jesus. And we need help with that word saint because you can likely drive by, you know, a St. Peter this or St. Paul that, St. Mary this, St. Mark that. And 
And so you begin to think of in terms of, okay, saints are these just like this rare class, and that's obviously Paul's talking about something different there. Or we use saint in a different way where, you know, I think of dear old granny and we'd say granny's a saint. Maybe you just knew she's a saint, she cares, she loves, she sacrifices. Or if you're inclined to listen to country music, you've heard like, hey, ain't no saint. Like everything's always got to be ain't. It's because it rhymes with saint. But we get this idea like the, a saint is like this perfect person. I ain't one of those. Granny might be, but I'm not. And so we get to see their technical, but I think we misunderstand the word. I and mean, one of the translations says God's holy people. I think this is a good way to, de- to describe it. We've been set apart by the Holy Spirit for God's purposes. We've been set apart to say this is what God's like. That's what it means to be holy. So we walk out of here and there should be a difference in our priorities and in our values and the way we treat one another and the way we treat others. There ought to be a difference there ought to be a difference in a high school, in a college. There ought to be a difference in, in an office. There ought to be a difference in, in, a, in a crew of workers. There ought to be a difference between those who are God's holy people marked out by him. And that's exactly what Paul is pushing us to. We are, we are saints. So here's, a, here's the dilemma. Like, how can we as imperfect people ever be called saints? Like, how can you be called a saint when you know inside you're not one. You certainly don't feel like one. I think it's important that we find those next words in verse 1. We are saints in Christ Jesus. Not because we behaved. Not because we're doing a pretty good job at doing what's right. We've been declared saints. The only way we are saints is that we're in Christ Jesus. We've been made holy in him. This is our relationship in him so that when God sees us, and I say, I don't, I don't really feel like a saint. When God sees us, he sees us in Christ Jesus. It's God's holy people. We're made holy and we're striving to be holy so that we'd say to the world, this is what, this is what God looks like. They're in Christ so he can say grace to you. Well, of course, the only way you get God's grace is is through Christ. The undeserved favor of God. He says peace to you in his greeting. And again, no throwaway words. The only way you have peace is because you're in Christ. Because the the war that you might have had with God beforehand has has been taken away. And now you are reconciled at peace with God the Father. Who are we? We're saints. We're saints in Christ Jesus. But that's not just the way he described him. So that would be a fair description. We're saints. All those who believed in Christ Jesus, all those who put their faith in him, we're all saints in Christ Jesus. But that is not just the way he describes him. He says, you are saints in Christ Jesus, but you're also saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. So when Paul thinks of them, he doesn't just think, wow, it's a a wonderful group of Christians all over the world. He thinks specifically this congregation And he names two offices, overseer or shepherd or pastor and the deacons. He names two offices and they're not kind of set apart from the group. They're a part of the group. But he thinks of the saints, but it's not just like all the saints in the world who just kind of are are freelance saints. No, he says those who are at Philippi with their overseers who are caring for their souls and those deacons who are serving their needs, that, that group of saints. That's why it it encouraged my heart so much 
that a few moments ago, as we saw those that were standing in front of us at family time that said, I want to be a part of this church. I want to be in covenant relationship with this church. I want to be committed to these people and to the Lord together. You don't just have a, have a hard time in the New Testament finding saints that are kind of independent of a church. They're just kind of doing their thing, them and, them and Jesus. When Paul wants to write to an individual believer, he writes to the church. And he says this is to all the saints. Interestingly enough, too, it's all the saints, isn't it? Like, not, not to the ones who really are spiritual in Philippi. The rest of you, I don't have time for you because you really don't care anyway. He doesn't write to all those who are like the, the big givers, the heavy hitters. You can really make things happen to you, to all the super smart, to you, and to all the saints, the educated, the uneducated, ones with life really together, and those that not so much. Paul's got a word. He identifies servants, saints, and then if you kind of skip down to verse 5, you'll see another description, and that is partners. So Paul is grateful and joyful in his prayers that the Philippians are partners because of your partnership in the gospel. Your partners, see, partners have mutual interests Partners have something to gain and something to lose. It's interesting when a, when a team wins a national championship or when the Patriots get their 30th Super Bowl in a row. Everybody attached to the organization gets a ring. Well, of course the players do. They went out there and won it. But it, it doesn't stop there, does it? How about the... 15 or 20 people that are on the coaching staff. How about the recruiters, kind of the front office, who work for the team, work for the organization? They all have a part of it. They're all shareholders. We're partners, but what are we partners for? This is where we could easily get mixed. I mean, we've got a nice group of people here. We get along. We enjoy seeing each other. Are we just kind of partners in being really nice people? Partners to be a force for good in the world? That's actually not how Paul describes it. As you read it, what are we partners? Where's the partnership? The partnership, according to Paul, is in the gospel. The fellowship, the, the, the shares that we hold, we hold them in the gospel. What is the gospel? It's this good news. It's the message that although we are sinners who have rebelled against a holy God. God has orchestrated from eternity past, orchestrated this plan to make those that are rebellious sinners, those who kind of shake their fists at God, or those that just kind of cold, coldly draw themselves away from God and say, I'll do life on my own if you don't mind. God has worked to invade our world and to reconcile those very sinners to himself to pursue in love, and he did this by sending Jesus Christ who lived the life we should have lived and died the death we deserve to die. And then has risen again, and this is good news. You want to know what our partnership church is? You want to know what the glue that holds us together? Certainly not a pastor. It's not a staff. The glue that holds this church together is the gospel of Jesus Christ, particularly that gospel advance 
that advance to, to people who've never heard, the people who need to hear so desperately. But not just that it advance kind of outside these walls, but that it would advance in our hearts. Because I, I don't think we're ever going to grow past the place where we can forget the gospel. Where that was kind of, you know, the kiddie pool, but we all graduate from the kiddie pool. And when we, like, we go into the deep end. I, I, don't, I don't think we'll ever graduate from the gospel. The, the gospel is the deep end. Knowing we are forgiven by Jesus Christ, like, when is that ever going to be non-essential in your life? Knowing that you're forgiven, knowing that a holy God can look at you and you're justified, that you're reconciled, knowing that the cross was for you, knowing that Christ endured the shame, it was beautiful to hear a testimony of someone getting baptized today to say, I'm putting my hope in the cross, which was an instrument of shame, and I'm putting my my hope in that, and I loved hearing that. But here I find myself, I've been baptized many years, and I find that same message is is not something I used to need, but it is something I need today. I need to remind myself of the grace that is mine in Christ Jesus, and you need that as well. Paul says we're partnered. We're together in this. We have something to gain. We have something to lose. We're putting it all in there. We are partners together. We pass an offering plate, and, and many throughout the week are going to give online, and it's going to be pooled because we're partnered together for the gospel. I can't imagine how many hours are given by men and women in this congregation and even by students in this congregation. It's serving and all that is pulled together in partnership for the gospel. I can't imagine if you just kind of took the sum total of all the emotional energy invested in living together as the body of Christ, being patient with each other, bearing with each other, suffering with each other, laughing with each other, walking together. You just kind of multiplied that times all this congregation what we'd say, it's all worth it because we have a partnership in the gospel. We're serving together. Paul cares so deeply about this. This is every time I go to pray. When I, I do pray and I make my prayers with joy, but I, I also just thank my God. Every time I remember you, I think of you and that prompts prayer because we're together in this. It prompts joy prompts such gratitude. I think I've just had a taste of that, not being here regularly on Sunday. To just miss, and every time I would think on a Sunday of my church family at Ogletown, I thank my God every time I remember you, because we're partnered. Who we are, we're, we're servants. We're saints. We're partners in this together. But then Paul moves to to talk about time, what, what time it is. I really want us to think about that particular thing. What, what time is it in a couple ways? One is in our relationship with God, and particularly in like where we are with God. In our relationship with time as it, as it relates to what God is doing in his overall plan for the universe. There are three, I guess, time markers in this passage. I want you to see them. I've highlighted them up there. Because of your partnership in the gospel, here's one time marker from the first day. So Paul's calling their attention and our attention to this first day, that day when God began something. And then he says, until right now, but then he points to another day, and that's the day of Jesus Christ. They're not yet there. And these time markers are significant. What, what time is it? So Paul draws attention, and can we just walk through those? From, from the first day, what is the first day? 
I think of the song that we sang at the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light. Or if we sang Amazing Grace, it might go, the hour I first believed. I guess that time, and maybe it's a particular day, the first day, or maybe it's the days where your heart and your mind become open and you realize, oh my goodness, I've never seen this before. And the truth begins to just resonate in your heart and you say, this is true. This is right. Sin begins to press much more and you realize it's not okay. That I'm doing my own thing and I'm resisting God. Maybe those first days come as a child like probably many of you in the congregation, your first days of belief were as a child. But I think of my friend Joe, who's 70, and his, his first days of belief were just a couple years ago. When he began to hear the gospel in a different way, he's confronted with death and recognized, I'm not ready to meet the Lord. And then questions began to present themselves and the truth became more clear. And it's like, where has this been? And your desires change and spiritual things come alive and you can't be comfortable with who you are. And, and maybe, honestly, maybe that's going on in your heart right now. You're wondering, I, Curtis, what you're describing is like eyes being opened. That's what's happening to me. I, I can't explain it, but ever since the beginning of the semester, the beginning of the year, maybe since I met this person, since, I, since I've been coming to this church, something is happening in my heart. I don't know that I have words. And I would just encourage you, if that is going on in your heart, if that's going on in your life, I want to tell you, find someone to talk to. There will be, there'll be folks available after the service. Like, why would you leave just kind of stewing on that and not talk through someone that will care for you and say, well, what is going on? How can I pray for you? Because maybe God is doing something in your heart. Maybe it's God beginning a good work in you. It's certainly an invitation for you to believe in Christ and to talk to someone about it. Paul said, you were partnered right there in the first days until now. Then he gives another time marker, doesn't he? He gives the time marker of the day of Jesus Christ. And that seems to be out in the future. And Paul talked a lot in this book about the day of Jesus Christ, kind of that day out in the future. The, the day when Jesus is honored. The day when Christ comes back. The day when we see him in all his glory. The day when he's the king. And because of that, joy overflows because everything goes better when Jesus is recognized as the king. We think of those first days. We think of this day of Jesus Christ. The day when everything that's important will be revealed and everything which is just dumb and won't last will be revealed. On on that day, can you imagine being one of those who didn't make your relationship with him a priority? Those who say, ah, I just, other things seem more important. I got money to make. I got a life. I got a lot of fun I want to have on that day where that kind of thing will be very foolish. Be ready for this day of Jesus Christ. And you can almost hear that and we get in our mind, okay, so God began a good work, but we've got this day of Jesus Christ. We've got to make it to. Either the day he comes back or the day we take our last breath. Is the picture like, okay, so God began this good work. And he's kind of, he had the baton and he got it going. He ran the first leg, but then he puts it in your hand and says, you better run. And there's going to be a day where you meet Jesus and you better run your hardest. You better hope you make it. 
You better hope you don't quit. Is that the picture Paul gives? If it was the picture, that'd be terrifying to me. There are times where I feel like, I wonder if you feel like this, times where you you don't think it's all sure like you're going to meet Jesus without making a shipwreck of your life. If you don't think you're about one or two bad decisions away from really hurting your walk with the Lord and hurting lots of people around you, you probably don't fear sin enough. So I think like, God, I don't want to do that. I don't, I don't want to like run this race and like totally, totally bring shame on the Lord and totally bring shame on my family. I don't want to do that. And I feel like if the pressure is all up to me to try to get this thing across the finish line, reach the goal, the day of Jesus Christ, I mean, I've been walking with the Lord for a long time. I feel like if it's just up to me, I I don't have a lot of hope that I can get it across the finish line without making a royal mess. But that is not what it says. No, God did not run the first leg and then hand the baton off to you to get it across the finish line. The good news according to Philippians 1, 6, is that God finishes what he starts. Praise God. Praise God. He finishes what he starts. Paul says, I am sure of this, and his confidence has very little to do with them and everything to do with God. That's the one who began a good work in you. He knows how to get this thing across the finish line. He knows how to work on your heart. He knows how to make your life uncomfortable until you come back to him. He knows how to get your attention. He is the one working for your good. You're not out there just slugging it away on your own. He began a good work and he is the one who will finish. We would say like prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, Chris reminded us. Prone to leave the God I love. And this verse would say, you ought to feel that you're prone, but just know there's a God who finishes what he starts. God's work from beginning to end. God who is infinitely creative. He begins lots of good works. And every one of those he finishes. Jonah says salvation belongs to the Lord. This is such good news because if you're starting out, so like my first steps of faith were as a very little kid. Maybe maybe age-wise you're not that young, but you're still in those kind of early days, those first days of faith. You wonder... Lord, how in the world, how in the world could I walk with you to the place where I would meet, meet Christ someday? Like, how is this like, what if I have to live 50, 60, 70 years? How am I going to do that? God, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion. Maybe you find yourself tempted to abandon Abandon the Lord, abandon it all. Say, what's, what's, the, what's it worth? I mean, I feel the trials. I feel temptation seems really, really strong. And it just seems like it's just easier to give up. And I've, I feel before the Lord, worthless. Got good news. He began a good work. Regardless of how temptation, how strong it is, how much it's pressing you in this moment, he will see you through this. He will see you through this trial. I think of those who've maybe been around church for a long time and you're very tempted. I mean, 
you, you begin to have doubts and doubts you didn't wrestle with the first 30 years of knowing Christ, but these doubts are coming and, and maybe you're just growing cynical to the whole thing and you're wondering like, what is the point? What, what does it matter? And God is the one who began a good work and he completes it. I had such an encouraging conversation this week with, with a member of our church who's probably been a Christian since early, early days. And now in his 60s, God's done a new work in his heart over the last few weeks. And this is, this is what God does. He begins a good work, but then he continues to, to be faithful to you and faithful to the good work he began. Even when you're kind of wandering and wobbling and when your faith isn't as strong, he calls you back and says, I've begun a good work, don't forget it. He completes it. God always finishes what he starts. That is in such contrast to what I do in a, a thousand ways in life. So the other day, I thought I'd take advantage of the nice weather. I don't live too far from the county park and a state park. But I thought I'd take a nice bike ride and enjoy and kind of work out a little bit. I hadn't gotten t- too far from my house when the wheels came off. Quite literally, the wheel came off of my bike. I went over the, the handlebars. I did whatever a like, self-respecting human being would do. I looked around like, who saw that? Who just saw that moment of glory? I, I thought for a moment like, well, I probably need to fix this. But then like, what am I? I'm the least mechanically inclined person need to take it to my wife to fix. So I took the walk of shame back to the house. Another reminder, I don't finish everything I start. So I walk in the house. Our house, we have, we've got three kids, so there's this pile and that pile and that pile. And it's like we started this. And that was fun for a while, like five minutes. And then there's this pile. And then that was fun for a while. And then got distracted by this. And like there's kid piles and then there's grown-up piles. of so like I started to do this, like taxes, and then I just says, I need that one more paper and don't have time for that. I mean, a lot of my life could be a demonstration of not finishing what I start. But the same could not be said of the Lord. I might grow weary. I might grow distracted. I get like all all sort of energy, you know, being with the church and like, I'm going to live for God now. I'm going to do, and then that, that, the first moment I fail at that, it's like, ah, it's not worth it. I'll just walk, walk the bike back and like, give up on this whole thing, this new effort, this new thing that the Lord wanted to do in my life. That's the way I feel about my spiritual efforts. I, I make an attempt and it doesn't go well. I'm ready to quit. But this is where we need the confidence placed in the right thing. Your confidence ought to be in a God who doesn't get distracted. He finishes what he starts. Your confidence ought to be in a God who doesn't get tired of working for your perseverance. He finishes what he starts. A God who never finds something too hard for him, that he can't act and can't work for your good. This is a God who never tires of walking with those whom he loves. This is a God who will finish what he starts. So look at what God does for you in Jesus Christ and rest all your hope, not in yourself and in your own efforts, but rest your hope in him. This morning, 
Here's the call. Let's evaluate where we are, who we are. We are servants. We are saints. We are partners. And I'd ask you, what, what time is it in your life spiritually? What time is it? First days? Were those days where God began a good work and right now, right now, he's bringing it to completion. Can I ask you to bow your head? Again, after the service, I'd love to talk with you more about this. You're going to see signs for the next several weeks saying we are better together. So maybe you need someone to pray for you because your hope and your confidence in meeting Jesus is like very, very small at this point. Maybe you need someone pouring into your life. Church, we are better together. Lord, give us grace to hear these words and to put them into practice. I pray that your truth will come alive and where we sometimes don't want to be your servant, where we feel less than a saint, where partnership is hard, that you would give us fresh, fresh wind in our sails. Remind us all of what time it is and help us to not put more hope in ourselves, but to rest our hope in the God who finishes what he starts. We ask all this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.